0: Today's episode is brought to you by Jimberu. In 2023, Jimberu celebrates 40 years of providing quality neurodevelopmental programs for babies and children from birth to school readiness. Jimberu is the world's only parent child program specializing in research based neurodevelopmental learning that integrates key developmental activities into a comprehensive program. Backed by world renowned experts, Jimbaroo is passionate about prioritizing milestone progression and early movement experiences. Why? Because it ensures crucial foundations for later learning and fosters appropriate, normal development at every child stage. To discover more about their innovative programs, go to jimbaroo.com.au today. Hello and welcome. Well, I think we would all agree that music is one of life's greatest joys. Music weaves unforgettable memories into our lives by stirring our deepest emotions, making every moment more vibrant, no matter where we are or what we're doing. As powerful as music is in connecting with our emotions, did you know that music can have a profound impact on children's brain development in the early years of life? Neuroscientific studies have proven that exposing children to music during early education is exceptional. For their brain's development. So, as a parent, grandparent, or carer, we want to help you be aware of the significance of music in early brain development and the positive impact it can have on children. Why? So, to help empower you to make informed decisions regarding your child's early education and activities, and also to provide you with the tools to provide your children with a well rounded, and stimulating environments, setting the foundation for future success and lifelong learning. To help us understand all about this, we welcome back our very special guest, Dr. Tessa Grigg. Dr. Tessa Grigg is the Research and Education Manager at Jimbaroo and Kindiru. She's a part-time lecturer at the University of Canterbury in New Zealand, a teacher and producer of children's music. And She has over 20 years experience in the early education sector and a wealth of knowledge on this topic. Welcome back. How are you? I'm fabulous. Thank you, Rachel. What a lovely introduction. I I don't
1: know if I need to say much now. You've (laughs) said lots of fabulous things about how important music is. So yeah, I'm in my happy place. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, I've had the privilege and honor of interviewing you on a number of occasions, and today is no exception. Uh, and this, no doubt, is for you um, very close to your heart and, and overall a very fascinating topic. And I'd just love to know initially, in your 20 plus years experience, um, how common have you found it is it that the parents are aware or not of the impact that children has, uh, sorry, the impact that music, sorry, has on children's early development?
1: Um, most parents have an idea that music is important, but, uh, and I think it's woven into our culture quite nicely on some levels. But I do think that it's something, I don't think parents completely understand the power or how far reaching music is. So it's a, that's a good thing to get through.
0: Yeah. Um, and overall, I think it's very interesting how something as melodic as music. Could have a profound impact on something as fundamental as language development. Could you just tell us a little bit? I mean, how does music act as a precursor to language development?
1: Well, essentially, what happens is a baby needs to develop a sound library. And um, and Anita Collins' book called *The Music Advantage*, which is a great book, and I highly recommend it to every parent. It's easy to read. It's fantastic but she talks about children needing to develop what she calls an iTunes library but it's really just a sound library and so they need language in their sound library they need music in their sound library they need nature they just they need to hear all kinds of things and so music's fantastic because it adds a real richness to the library of sounds that they are then going to use later as they develop language hmm.
0: It's really fascinating connection between music and just the way that it lays the groundwork in the d- development of just young minds overall. Um, you know, look, we've really <laughs> marvelled at babies' adorable early rhythmic behaviours of the way they babble and they clap and move. Um, from your perspective, I mean, what is that connection between clapping, their babbling, and also music in babies?
1: Yeah, there's been some quite interesting studies done about this, Rachel, where they um, looked at babies who were encouraged to clap and whose caregivers clapped with them, and they noticed that those babies' babbling was more prolific. And, of course, babbling is one of those things that, is the precursor to language. If children are babbling well, it means they're playing with sound and they're getting feedback and they're hearing things and, and, and they're experimenting, which is what, really what you want. Yes, yes. So that whole clapping thing that you do with children, just really simple little clapping games, um, has this profound effect. And, of course, clapping involves movement, and movement helps the brain to learn. So it's I think they're probably all tied up together.
0: Yeah and it's it's always a beautiful moment when you see a parent holding their baby gently swaying and singing a, a soft lullaby or just cradling that their baby in their arms but from what i understand um in the preparation for the chat today this that tender gesture more so is is more than just a beautiful moment of swinging and movement and as you've just um Mentioned just now, you know, with, with singing and moving, how does that uh, con- contribute to, I guess, a, a secure attachment? I'd love to know.
1: Yeah, I I find this whole aspect of it, uh, you know, music and what it does, really important. I don't think we really know how music makes the secure attachment, but we do know that babies who've been danced mm-hmm. with held and danced and sung to have more secure attachments and that's um, over the last few years become really important because we know that children with secure attachments do better later on so interesting yeah anything we can do to make those attachments secure when they're young is a really good thing to do so it's not that hard you know pick up your baby and dance with it every day is what I say
0: and, and sing to it as well. Is it important to have music in the background and, and those types of things as well?
1: Um, well, if you have music in the background when you dance, then you get that lovely sense of rhythm, and I'm I'm a believer that it's the up-down that you do with this baby. Now, I don't want to do this too much on screen because it's distracting, but when you've got the baby and you're going up-down, up-down, it stimulates the vestibular system. The child gets this really strong sense of the beat, and, and that's really helpful. But your voice is actually your best instrument because the vibration of your voice when you sing is so gorgeous. I had the loveliest moment a little while ago, Rachel, with a, a goddaughter. She's got a little baby. He's 18 months old and she's just got a new baby. So I was talking to the 18-month-old and he was sitting in his high chair, supposed to be eating his lunch, and I was chatting. And I I just, out of the blue, I don't know why I did this, but I just went, William, clap 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 your hands <laughs> and he was so with me the whole way and then we shake 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 your hands and then we did rub 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 your tummy and then he clapped his hands to get me independently
0: wow hands.
1: so you know it, um you can actually do some quite good things uh if you you know your grandchildren if you're talking to grandchildren if they're in another city you can do these things over video calls you know it's fine but that Pure voice with no music, nothing with it is also really powerful and lovely too.
0: So what you just mentioned then, is that what you refer to and we refer to as secure attachment then, having that connection?
1: Yeah. Yes. Uh, the secure attachments are um, when you're monitoring them, or when you're sort of testing them out. It's a bit more than just smiling at somebody. But it's uh, it's about your ability to leave somebody. It's about how secure you are when you know what you do when you go away. What what's the, what's it like when the person comes back? Do you you know? Oh, I see. Or, that that's what the secure attachments about. But what we're wanting with the dance is to um, increase those feelings that a child has for their significant other. That's what that will
0: do. Oh, I see. Well, getting back to what you were saying just earlier about the rhythm of music, you know, we love to see how babies and toddlers seem to just naturally groove to rhythm of music and their adorable little bodies swaying and bouncing along. (laughs) Um, And it never fails to put a huge smile on everyone's face when you see a baby dance, of course. Um, And I love but I'd love to know really a little bit more about what lies behind this innate ability to move in time to music. And from your uh, point of view, like why do babies and toddlers often move in time to music and what role does an uh, adult involvement play in this?
1: Yeah, I I find this um, again, another aspect of music and movement completely fascinating. So Again, studies have shown that if you move at the same time as the as the child. So if they're going like this to the music and but you mirror do, their movement. Yep, yeah, you absolutely mirror their movement, then they'll be um they have a preference towards people who move with them as opposed to somebody who just stands still and watches them. So that's about again building up those good relationships with the child. But um they don't. You a lot of children don't actually move that well in time to start with. I find like I've had the old one. I've had a ten month old who was able to keep the beat quite reliably. Um, that's not normal. It usually is a little bit older than that. But what happens is if they're getting lots of practice um, of being able to keep the beat, then they will start to do that. So adults play a huge role in this. Um, So when the music's playing, if the adult does the clapping in time, then the child sees that and gets the idea that that's what you do. If the adult bounces in time. So it's a really important role that adults play. But, yeah, some children can't help themselves and they just groove to music right from when they're quite young. (laughs) And
0: that's cute. And talking about the practice, in, in which ways does engaging in a dance a day benefit the brain development, just that repetition? Would you say this is the consistency that is what helps um, with the Um, brain development?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of that, but there's a lot to do with actual movement and stimulating the vestibular system. So I've always said that, you know, when you dance with a baby, the vestibular system is moving. It's moving in time to the music. So that uh, helps to develop what we call temporal awareness. So that's this inbuilt timing mechanism that's in the brain and we use that timing mechanism for so many things you know walking sport but we also use it for reading and writing and and of course we use it for music but that if you get into the habit of dancing every day with a baby and, and it has to be music that's not too fast you want a, a reasonably slow beat probably about 110 beats a minute then um, that, you know, as as we've been talking about before, that goes back to that business of just creating that lovely nurturing place and then the brain just likes that and so it picks up as, you know, all sorts of other things. And, it, and, of course, you know, I go back to my sound library. If you dance to a variety of different dances again, you're going to be adding different sounds to what that child's got in its sound library. So it's all very interwoven, Rachel. You know, one thing... It sort of affects all the other things as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, in in um, preparation for the chat today, I read that um, learning to keep a steady beat has a remar- remarkable significance for the brain's internal timing signals, mm-hmm. and it plays a crucial role in just various aspects of our cognitive development. I'd love to know from your perspective, what is that significance of learning to keep a steady beat for the brain's internal timing signals?
1: Yeah. It's huge. Um, And as I mentioned before, that's what we call temporal awareness. And if the brain doesn't have this good timing mechanism inside it, then movements that we make later on, straight down to just walking, can be not as fluid as we need them to be. And, uh, you know, writing's harder, reading's harder, joining in with sports harder. So it has a big impact later on. Now, I have in my music classes, sometimes I'll have an adult who seems to have got through their life without learning to keep a steady beat. And it's really interesting that when they've got their child and we do these things regularly and they know what to do and they know how to do it, doesn't take very long, usually after about six months, they are keeping the beat with me. I've, I haven't, I can't think of a parent, who's <laughs> a year of my music classes, and still not being able to keep the beat. So they, they, they learn how to do it. They learn to get. So you're never too old. But of course, it's way better if you do all this when you're young.
0: Much yes. Better. Yeah. And it's it's a fascinating connection between rhythm, brain, and brain brain function, and how that simple beat can, I guess, shape our sense of time and coordination. But why does the brain actually have a natural affinity for pattern in music?
1: The patterns, the brains love patterns, they're always looking for patterns. Partly because that's things, if if it's a pattern that the brain knows, then it can um, not have to think about that quite so much. So it looks at something or listens to something and it goes, oh, yeah, I know that. Um, So then it can focus on something else. So if we've got um, the patterns going on, then the brain is able to take on more things. But what also help helps with patterning, um, and especially this is kind of music patterning, is that it's a helping children to develop something called inhibitory control. And it's inhibitory control that is the, the um, ability that enables us to run our lives the way we want to run it. So sometimes it's called self-control but or inhibitory control, whatever. So it means you've got the ability to start or stop something or to recognise a pattern. And there's a study done in New Zealand where it's called the Dunedin Study, and it's been going since the 70s. And when these people were 40, what they worked out was, well, they went looking for what was the predictor of um, success. And they thought it would be mother's education or number of years at school or tertiary qualifications or all those things. And no, the predictor of success was inhibitory control. So the children who passed the marshmallow test at four were actually the ones who life was easier for them. So a whole lot of those things didn't matter. So then you look back and you think, well, music helps children to develop this inhibitory control really really well you've got to tap your sticks at the right time or you've got to sing at the right time or you've there's lots of things in music where you have to do it at the right time so you're getting that internal timing sorted but you're also learning how to control when you start stop, and all those sorts of things so again as I've already said it's all linked and tied up together.
0: And talking about control. I mean, I understand that performing music may hold the key to unlocking a child's self-control and discipline uh, and help develop powerful life skills. But how exactly? I'd love to know. I mean, how does performing music contribute to the development of self-control in children?
1: That's enormous. I'm a huge supporter of children's performances and I I have my children. Performing in my music classes at three, and at Jimbaroo Kindy Wow! Yeah, we also have them performing um, at three and four as well. That they and the Jimbaroo classes there's a bit more things going on, so they don't do it every week like I do, but they do it a lot. But I do it every week, and part of that is um, it's big for a child if you're going to ask them to perform because they've got to walk away from their significant person and stand on a stage. By yes. themselves, by and large, it's huge. And then you have <laughs> got to do whatever you're supposed to be doing at the right time and, you know, put your hands up or clap your hands or turn around or do whatever you're supposed to be doing. And I, what I always love is the reunion after their one minute on stage that, you know, my children do. It's oh, like boy. a play for three weeks. <laughs> and, but throughout that whole process, um, so those that's a very simple example of how control works, you know how how they learn to control themselves and their learning life skills. But you know when you get them further on down their musical path, so you get five and six year olds performing, then they're having to you know look at what everybody else is doing and make sure that they do you know play their drum or their triangle or do whatever on their violin at the right time watching the conductor, there's a lot going on the, in the brain when children are having to perform. That's So, yeah, I'm a huge supporter of children performing.
0: So with that in particular, with uh, Jimbaroo and Kindiroo, um, how does your music cater to the development, uh, the de- de- developmental needs of babies and young children then? I'd love to know.
1: Yeah, we work really hard at this Rachel because you know we've got these children we've only got them for a short time but we also yes. have parents who are really good at playing the music so they get access to the music Yeah, and so we've got all kinds of music we've got music that's just a cappella where it's just voices we've got music that has been her production with you know umpteen million instruments we've got some that's just a simple guitar um and then different styles of music and I dare I say it but I've just made um I don't even know if I'm going to use the right word it sort of sounds quite rappy and it's got a drop in it and I don't even really know what a drop is I haven't (laughs) read it for such a long time but anyway we've got Jimmaroo children who are going to be doing a drop and you know it's really groovy so we've got from that through to classical music and um simple nursery rhymes some quite complex harmonies. We've got songs with no harmonies. So that going back to what we talked about at the beginning, um, you know, at we've got 750 songs that we use. Wow, in that collection, 750. I know, it's a huge um, song library. But it also means that there's a huge variety of sounds and, you know, the children that are encountering music are building up that sound repertoire that I was talking about earlier on where they you know they're hearing lots and lots of different instruments and sounds and styles and the way so the brain's working at it the whole time it's we work really hard at that
0: Gosh, and I mean, but what, what what an opportunity to to be able to make a significant difference to children's lives through music. It's from what I'm hearing you tell us, music is very, a very powerful conductor, I guess, in the orchestra. If we're to say of yeah. a child, <laughs> cognitive and emotional growth. <laughs> um, but from your perspective, like, what are the specific skills that music encourages in in I guess, some of these life skills, I guess, in verbal memory and language and, and speech processing, perception, um, the coordination that we were talking about before, um, and even maths as well. I mean, there's so many different things, I guess, that what I'm hearing that, that music enables a child to be able to develop and uh, use for later on as life skills. So I'd love to know from your perspective.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Everything you've said. So every single piece of music, I mean, the, the whole mathematical thing is really strong when it comes to music. And I've just recorded a dance today that uh, Jimbaroo, roo children are going to be doing in term four. And in the middle of the dance, they all stand there and they go, one, two, three, four. <laughs> Because we, a lot of our music is four, four times, so there's four beats in a bar and our children get to, they, that's the easiest time for them to learn. So there's a whole lot of maths going on, of course, and dancing, there's mathematical concepts, space space, and language, up, down, round, through, between, you know, back and forwards, all those kind of things. Um, as far as coordination goes, the minute you add in any instrumentation, you've got lovely opportunities for coordination. I'm, you know, I do things with my drumsticks where we all drum on it. We have, I give them two little drums, and they drum on the left drum and they drum on the right drum, and so we've got that kind of stuff going on. Um, music is really good from a language perspective because children are predominantly operating in their right brain when they're under three. So when they're, you know, when they're young, it's...
0: Um, Can you just maybe point. explain to us for someone listening um, and, and or watching the difference between the right and the left part of the brain is just for a moment?
1: Yeah, well, the left brain is tends to be the more analytical list writing side of the brain. That's what we think. Um, well, that's, you know, one of the ways that it gets described. But for a young child, child a child under three the right brain is kind of like their creative um, artistic brain which is how they operate at that time they don't have the the um the left side of the brain nearly as well developed at that point and that's totally appropriate that's how it should be but that's why music plays such an important part in the development of that right side of the brain um, because music plays to that side of the brain. And learning a language, you'll often find that children know the alphabet by singing A, B, C, D, E, F, G, so they can hook it into a melody really easily. But if you ask them to say the alphabet, they want to know where to start. So music is the carries uh, all kinds of information and in the Tesoro songs, we're really careful about using accurate language. We don't use um, sort of inaccurate language, basically, to describe things. And, you know, I was listening this morning to a song about a skunk, and it tells them that it's a mammal and that mm-hmm. if you frighten it, it'll make a big smell, you know. And so that kind of language is So children who listen to that song will know that those are some of the characteristics of a skunk. So I think that music does a lot for a lot of children in a lot of ways.
0: Yes. Uh, and I'm really excited to ask you this question as well with regards to classical music and, and and delving into the harmonies of the past and just the remarkable role of classical music. I always find that when I do listen to classical music, I can almost sense and feel that like some part of my brain just opens up and I just see and feel the world around me. Um, It's almost heightened. It has always been my experience. And I've, I'm i a great lover of uh, classical music personally. I love. Any any classical music, but mainly from the Romantic era, um, is my my personal favourite. For what it's worth, but I'd love to know what role does classical music, especially from the Baroque period, play in stimulating um, the developing brain of children?
1: Um, again, I don't know, Rachel. <clears throat> if we know exactly how this happens, yes. or, um, But there seems to be some quite clear evidence that that Baroque music is often at a reasonably slow speed. So it's got a tempo of about 50 to 70 beats a minute, which means it's kind of, um, it slows, and it slows the brain down. It doesn't put the brain in a hype state. And then what that does is it, uh, lowers muscle tension. It might lower their blood pressure, and it might slow the pulse rate, so that they can then absorb and engage purposefully in what they're trying to do. So there's, you know, if you have very loud um, music that's um, uh, distracting, I suppose is the the thing that you don't want. So if you're wanting the brain to work really well, you want smooth. Um, music that doesn't distract so that it just calms the brain down and then the brain is in this very receptive state for learning, which is what we do. So we use Baroque music um, at Jimbaroo in our uh, climbing time, in our circuit time, and we do that deliberately because we want the whole experience for the child to be very calm and where they can learn heaps of he- heaps themselves because they're doing, they're exploring at that time and they're testing things out, but we want it not to be in a hyper sort of situation where they don't absorb as much. So Baroque music has definitely, um it goes in and out of flavor and there was a, a you know, Mozart got all the, um, yeah um he got all the airtime as being the only one, but I, d- I don't think it's just a mm. Mozart, but, what what we do is combine, so what they used to do with those Mozart videos was sit the child in front of a TV screen and play Mozart to them, and I don't think they had such a good effect, but what we do is play the, the Baroque music and the children are busy doing stuff, and we think that that has a really good effect. We know, you know, teachers who've done it anecdotally, we haven't done a study, but anecdotally where they've played baroque music one week and then not another week they notice the classes are quite different I've done it myself too yes you think oh I don't know if I can listen to any more of this baroque music and then you do something else and you go oh yeah we're going back this was terrible
0: (laughs) but but hearing what you're saying I'm um I I do meditation every day in which I know that during um our waking state that we're in in beta mode but then with um With meditation that we can sort of take our brainwaves into either alpha or theta when we're sleeping we're in delta um so with that in particular possibly i i'm I'm just i'm only guessing of course but maybe baroque helps take uh children's brainwaves from beta maybe to to an alpha state maybe who knows i'm Um, sure
1: there are theories around people are saying that you know that that, yeah yeah you're probably right
0: yeah. yeah, and, and all it is, is just a, a more relaxed state of of, uh, of mind. So anyway, anything that works, anything that works and is enjoyable. <laughs> <That's cheap. laughs> yeah. So with the songs chosen and written for Jimbaroo and Kindyroo programs, um, how do they incorporate like developmental sequences and those types of things as well for children? I'd love to know.
1: Yeah, we're really good at this because, you know, the music's all tailor-made for our children. So we, I, the verses start and they do what the little children can do easily I mean we can easily make that first verse harder for an older child but we make it really easy for the for the little ones and then the next verse is something a little bit harder that might challenge them a little bit more and and we never do hopping till about verse three or four because you know the little children can't do that and so the music gets turned off at that point so what we so that's one way that we do it the other way that we do it um, for to incorporate incorporate their developmental um, sequences is we the speed of our music is really slow, um, and we've been criticised for that. People saying, "Oh, your music's so slow," and I go, "Yeah, it is. It's because it's been designed for children, not you. That's mm-hmm. not designed for." Adult. So the gym room music is not adult music, is not something you're going to put on and have a really good time at a party with. I can assure you of that, but that's because it's designed for children and where they are at developmentally. And I remember watching my own son. He used to quite like um, some CD that somebody had given us from, that was actually a Disney CD and it was really loud and really fast. You know, Mickey Mouse was singing like this and while my son liked it he wasn't able to even when he was four he was not able to sing the words with it or join in with the actions or do anything like that and for me that I just sat and used to watch it and think yeah he's not getting anything out of this other than he's sitting there going like this so what we what we do at the Rose music, that's what the Jimbaroo music's music um, is based is what the, that's what, what they use, is we make sure that you know a three and a four year old can sing the words, not of all the songs, of course, because that would be excruciating 700 songs at that speed, but um, there's a, a large percentage of them where the children can sing the, sing the words. So that's really important that we've factored that in as well.
0: Now, for parents wanting to add a splash of music to their home, um, I'd love to know from your perspective, do you have any pocket-friendly musical instruments uh, perfect for introducing little ones to, you know, the magical world of music at home? I'd love to know.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, Rachel, I'm that horrible aunt who every time I used to go travelling used to buy to my neck oh, the the thing I could find. So they had a glorious array, those were in the days when I was single and I used to go travelling to exotic places and they had an array of gorgeous instruments from you know all sorts of places but you don't need to travel the world to get those. Um, I'm always an advocator for the kitchen cupboard. It's full of instruments, you know, pot lids and um, stainless steel bowls and there's nothing wrong with a wooden spoon to bang on something. And and there are also cool things, like I've got a, a pastry brush, which is, I think, I don't know what it's made of, sort of um, – I don't know, plasticky sort of stuff. I don't know. But I'm imagining that's very cool to, you know, make noises on a um, stainless steel bowl. So that's a really good place to start that you don't actually need to spend a lot of money. And remember, I've already said you've got your voice and you've got your hands to clap. So you've yes. got those two things straight away. And then you've got the kitchen cupboard. And that's another great place to start. And children are very happy in their making uh, bands out of, you know, instruments out of, of stuff that you've got.
0: Yeah, at home. And, and of course, if the banging of the pots and pans is maybe a little bit too much for some parents, maybe I guess that, that continued um, noise and those types of things, as we mentioned at the start of the interview also, it's, it's really important for parents to know that, you know, as you mentioned, dancing with your child and singing catchy tunes that you you may know or just have playing in the background if you've got the radio or Spotify playing, those types of things could really help with the little one's growth and learning. Uh, So just to reiterate, you know, that dancing with a child and singing songs does contribute to their skill and development, I guess, as well. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
1: But then, Rachel, the next place you go is the trade aid shop. And they have the most beautiful instruments, really good quality, beautifully made instruments. And they're lovely. And then often they're not quite so noisy. But then if you are going to buy instruments, it's really good to have a good shaker. Although you can make your own shakers. Yes. Yes. Right? But you can make, the there are some very cool, just little shakers. They're about that big, plastic, really easy for young children to hold on to. And they are really robust. They last really well. You need a drum. It's good to have some kind of drum and some, a tambourine or, you know, a few things like that. You don't need a whole orchestra full of things, but it's just really nice to have a few things. And I always suggest to people that they get two. So you get one for you to play and one for the child to play, and that makes it a nicer experience. And as they get older, it'll be, you know, one for one child and one for another child. But when they're little, it's nice to have two. So you don't have to spend a lot of money. But if you are going to spend money, buy good quality things. Don't buy cheap xylophones because they break and they fall apart and they don't stay in tune. So, yeah. Grandparents quite like to give those kind of things as Christmas presents. (laughs) I
0: bet they do. So you've suggested a shaker or at least two, so one for the parent, one for the child, um, and some form of a drum-type machine. Is that what you – would Drums are good.
1: And, and, you know, you can make your own drums out of ice cream containers and all sorts of things, but you can also buy really beautiful – drums that are, you know, make a beautiful sound, make a nicer sound than a drum, but yeah. than an ice cream container. But, you know, it's a good place to start. Um, bells, you can often buy bells. Uh, triangles, if you buy a triangle, be careful because the spikes, you know, the, the stick yes. Yes. for the triangle is a bit sharp. Um what are that wooden sticks, claves, um, or whatever you call them, we call them rhythm sticks or claves, or in New Zealand we call them rakas, something like that, so they've got something to bang. Anything you've got that adds a live component to the music adds a whole other dimension. It's always a good thing.
0: And mm. and why is that um, in particular very important for their, their their development, for them to be able to make music themselves? Like why is this yeah. so important?
1: Yeah, well, you know, we go back to the whole thing. It's the moving, it's the keeping the beat. And then from a vibrational perspective, as soon as you add in an instrument that's live, you've changed the whole feel of the song. So, you know, if you're playing... I know I make recorded music, but in actual fact, it's not the best for children. The very best thing to do is to sit them in front of an orchestra, but, you know, that's not possible to do that all the time. Every now and then they have cool things on at children's libraries where they'll bring in musicians. So if you get an opportunity to do that, always go and see the live musician, Um, but because you can't do that, you use the recorded music to get that variety, but then if you add in an instrument, it just makes it more alive and a better experience for the brain.
0: Yeah. And speaking about music in general, many of us have quite an eclectic and wide taste in music with preferences across so many different genres, styles and artists. Um But from your perspective, you know, why is exposure to a wide range of music beneficial for children's development?
1: Well, I go back to the first thing we talked about. It's about developing that sound library and that sound experiences. We're wanting children to develop good auditory processing skills. And so it's kind of like if you feed your child just broccoli, No, it's never going to work. The the gut likes a big variety of food from all sources and different colors and textures and all that kind of stuff. That's really important for your physical health. But for your musical health, you need the same thing as well. So I often will say to teachers and parents, play some music that probably isn't your favorite music because you never know that might be your child's favourite music. So it's really important to be think um, sort of quite wide at music. And that's why I love lots of ethnic um, music, because it adds something quite different. You know, the sounds are quite different, that different cultures use. So that's good to add in as well. And, of course, their nursery rhymes and their, the local nursery rhymes are good for children. Just anything. I mean, it's just, you know, smorgasbord. Do you want a smorgasbord, Rachel? Yes. Smorgasbord. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and for the parents who already have enrolled their children in Jimbaru, um programs, um, how can parents use music to extend and strengthen their child's Jimbaroo experience?
1: Well, at Jimbaroo they're really lucky because we provide them with a large amount of the music, not all of it because some of it's under copyright, but we give parents as part of their Jimbaroo class um, access to the most of the music and that enables them to go home and repeat what's been done in the class or you know if the children want to be creative and do something different that's fine as well but it's all about that repetition and becoming familiar with this big range so that's a really good thing for parents, Gymbaroo parents to do is to Extend, you know, what we give them, so they've seen it happen in the class, and then they can do some things at home as well. Some children will just do it naturally themselves. I, I know, um, you know, I've heard stories of children getting their Jimbaroo CD and, you know, running through what was done in the class at home without being prompted. So that's a lovely thing to do. But the other thing that parents can do is to watch their local community for musical opportunities. And often councils put things on, like I just said, you know, in the library they might have um, orchestral musicians that go in, just a few of them, and they'll play for children. Um Anything you can do musically. I mean, I'm not suggesting that you whip them off to every big concert because sometimes those big concerts are kind of overwhelming for small children. But anything that you can do where the children can get up close to the music is really good. Sometimes summer festivals and things have things that are quite good.
0: Yes. yes. You love seeing kids at the front of those sort of festivals and, as we are saying before, bopping and sort of bouncing away. So mm-hmm. Well, we've really covered so much information today. How would you summarise, I guess, any key messages for anyone watching and listening?
1: Well, you know, I'm very one-eyed, Rachel, can't help (laughs) myself. But, if you know, my main message is that music's not a nice to have and I I get quite – um, sad about the fact that there are schools taking music out of the curriculum and there are early childhood centres where all they do is just play a CD that don't actually engage with music because it's the engagement as you've probably picked up through this interview. It's actually engaging with music that makes the difference, not just sitting and watching it from the sideline. So the take-home message is do something musical with your children every day. It's kind of like, you know, Brush your teeth every day. It would be good to do a dance every day. And and the impact that that's going to have on your children is just huge. And so those are my take-home messages. Music is part of your young children's life on a daily basis.
0: And, of course, enrolling in the Jimbaroo or Kindiru program helps parents to be able to do that quite effortlessly. Could you maybe just give us some more information how um, parents can find um, a centre close to them and or any other benefits that you, you believe, of course, um, in, in, in enrolling in the programs?
1: Well, thanks, Rachel. Yes,
0: um, the www.jimboroo.com com.au
1: is our website and so parents you can go on there it's a really good website it um you'll be able to find your way around it quite easily find a nice center there the the um the good thing about Jimmaroo is that we lay it all on for you and I'm just going through the programs for next term and there's so much music we have got a lot of music right through the whole program so while we're very focused on movement we're also very focused on getting that whole music aspect in with the music and with the movement because it helps with the movement such a lot you know it keeps children in time it lets them know what's coming up so we lay it all on for parents and make it really really easy for them to provide a rich and you know experience for their children but also once you're doing Jimmbau you get ideas and and you go home and you go oh yeah that's this a good idea, I could do that. You know, I, I know a little girl who was bored at a restaurant the other day and they'd been making, in a music class that I do, they'd been making fantail fans and I'd shown them how to make them and so she was bored and she made a fantail fan out of the napkin. So those kind of things will flow on through experiences that they've they've had and, yeah, like I said, at Jimaroo, we lay it on thick and it's a great program. I, I'm a huge supporter of it.
0: And so am I. So we'll ensure we will have all of those links in the show notes. And for anyone watching and listening that hasn't yet enrolled in enrolled in any of the programs, why not just give it a shot and uh, give it a try? But we've hopefully given you some insight into the the benefits of music um, and how it develops a child's uh, a brain and, and all of the benefits that not just in the short term but in the long term for, for the rest of their life. Dr. Tessa Grieg, as always, thank you so much for your time. It's been an honour and a privilege. And as always, I look very much to, to speaking with you again in the not-too-distant future. But until then, take care and stay safe. Thanks, thank Rachel. You. Bye. I'm Rachel Monteleone, and you've been listening to Kidipedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kiddypedia by visiting our website at kiddypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.